0: Our gospel today comes from the book of John, starting in chapter 20 with verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. All three of my children had the blessing of the most amazing kindergarten teacher I have ever encountered. Her name is Pam Heindel, and she still teaches at Olympic View Elementary. One of the things that I love about her is that she not only taught the kids the content of their learning, but she taught them what it meant to be learners. She did this by teaching them about schemas. A schema is an educational and psychological term And it refers to the ways in which we construct context for the things that we encounter around us. How we take in information from our experience and then organize that information so that our world makes sense. The reason it is important to understand that we create schemas is because that is the only way that we can adjust what we encounter if that's something that isn't part of our current construct. When I was a science teacher, this was something we were very cognizant of because when you're teaching content that is not part of a student's experience, like what causes the phases of the moon, students have a strong propensity to create false schemas or misconceptions because they're trying to make this information fit into their experience and they have no framework for it. They can't go into space and spend several months watching the moon go around the earth. So when a student understands that they have schemas, they're able to be aware of their own learning and perhaps the gaps in it. And yes, she taught this to five-year-olds, which is exactly why she's amazing. When we reflect on the events of Easter, the biggest challenge we face is the same one the disciples faced. None of us have a schema for resurrection. Our schema, our lived experience and understanding of the world is that once something dies, it's dead. We may have some context for a person whose heart stops or they stop breathing for a few minutes and are then revived, but we don't see this happen days later when the funeral's over. When you understand our lack of schema, you can also understand why Easter's kind of relatively ignored in our culture. No one records CDs worth of Easter carols, and Hallmark isn't producing romantic movies about a beautiful ad executive who falls in love in a small town during Lent. But we have lots of schema around Christmas. A baby being born, we get that. Peace on Earth, sign us up. Donating food and presents to help children everywhere have a nice Christmas. We're shopping and wrapping but our God facing a brutal and messy death? A massive injustice carried out by the government? Okay, we might have a schema for that. But how is any of that story gonna bring Chloe and Danforth true love in a Lifetime movie? We just don't have a schema for Easter, or we have a very limited one. And in some ways, that seems to be a pretty big miss on the part of our theology. After all, the resurrection, the fact that power, suffering, death, and greed will not have the last word is where the hope of our faith rests. It was Jesus' entire jam. Why have we, as a faith tradition and a society that was so deeply rooted in the Christian ideology, not been able to develop this schema? I think a big part of why is because a lot of us benefit, intentionally or not, from power, greed, oppression, classism, racism, sexism, homophobia, And so we struggle to fit the very essence of resurrection into our schemas in part because to do so disrupts much of the constructs for which we have built politically and socially around ourselves. To acknowledge that the two contradict one another violates a schema we have lived with for generations. And now you see why knowing about schemas is important. In our first section of verses for today, Jesus comes to the disciples knowing they lack the schema to understand. The first thing he does is show them his wounds so that they would know it was really him. Because seeing him on the cross, getting those wounds, was their last experience with him. Then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And the verb he uses here in Greek is labete, which is the same verb Jesus uses during the Last Supper. And if you were here for the Maundy Thursday service, Danny taught us that labete means to take into yourself. So it's not just take, it's take into. And both times that Jesus uses this verb, it's as a command. So while it's translated here as receive, In these verses, what Jesus is saying to the disciples as he breathes is, Take into yourselves the Holy Spirit. The same way that they were to take into themselves the bread and the wine. Jesus is giving the disciples a new construct. For that which they have no previous experience. And the labete, the taking into themselves, is the Holy Spirit building this new schema. When Jesus meets Thomas, who was absolutely correct in his skepticism, he gives Thomas the same frame of reference, his wounds. He lets Thomas touch him, not just touch him, but invites Thomas to put his hands inside of him. Christ then acknowledges to Thomas and to us that those who are able to construct this new schema, who can understand Christ's resurrection without benefit of this tactile proof, they will be blessed. Though, again, I kind of prefer the other meaning of this word in Greek, which is not blessed, but to be envied. To believe this incredible event, something that has not happened before or since, with only this single set of data, these Gospels written 2,000 years ago, that is a schema built on faith. A kind of faith so profound, it is enviable. Now as an interesting side note here, I was sharing the premise of my sermon this week as I was developing it with a good friend of mine who is a Hindu priest. And he offered that for Hindus, they don't have a problem with believing that Jesus was resurrected because they believe in reincarnation. So he shared that Hindus have a schema already for this concept and I found that really fascinating. Um, It's one of the reasons I'm really grateful for all of my interfaith relationships because I get to have these moments. So now that we can reflect on our schemas, what do we do with it? Well, that is the practice of our faith. And it's uncomfortable because if we accept into our schema that Christ died and rose again as proof that darkness can be overcome then we are forced to accept our role in overcoming that darkness. The darkness in ourselves, in our relationships, and in our communities, and our opportunities abound. One example came across my Facebook feed this past Monday on Earth Day. It is a quote by Gus Spath, who is an environmental lawyer and the former UN administrator on global development. He said, quote, I used to think the top environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought that with 30 years of good science, we could address those problems. But I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with those, we need a spiritual and cultural transformation. And we scientists don't know how to do that. See, scientists don't have a schema for how to prove to us that we should take care of our planet. Or for each other. That requires a schema of faith. A schema that says, love is our greatest commandment. A schema that offers that 5,000 people can be fed from five loaves and a few fishes. A schema that turns water into wine. A schema that says resurrection is real. These are not stories of tactile proof. They're lessons of faith. Faith is what will heal our world. All of this has been written so that you may come to believe. And through believing, you will have new life in his name. Amen.